0: Hi, and welcome to the Law Notes episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. Today's episode is all about access to spaces for transgender people and access to documents for non-binary folks. This is a great episode with, of course, Art Leonard giving us the very latest on cases across the country, as we are consumed by a wave of anti-transgender legislation targeting of all things children. So we have a lot to discuss. Let's dig right in. Hi, Art. How you doing?
1: Okay. Okay. Just waiting to grade my final exams. Should be arriving soon.
0: (laughs) Right in the middle of finals. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm excited to talk with you today about the cases. I'm coming to you live from my backyard because my husband is recording video inside and singing at the top of his lungs. He's an actor, um, and so you know, if you hear birds in the background, it's to cheer us all up.
1: <laughs> or if we hear your, if we hear your husband singing. <laughs>
0: Right. I hope it goes, it matches the mood of what we're chatting about. Um, All right. So let's go to our very first case. We have a bunch of really exciting cases that all have to do with transgender rights and non-binary rights. Um, And let's start with this first one. Basically what we want to do is, is be able to address this wave of anti-transgender uh legislation and attacks that we've seen across the country that have dealt primarily with trans youth and participation in sports but also in the context of access to medical care Um, in red states all republican legislatures are ramming these bills through and you know there are efforts to try to stop those bills but the first case that we're talking about today is a federal court case where we actually have anti-trans groups attacking an affirming policy or decision to allow trans uh, high schoolers to compete in sports. So, Art, tell us about this really, really interesting case and how that fits into the picture nationally.
1: Okay, this case is called Sewell versus the Connecticut Association of Schools Incorporated. The Connecticut Association of Schools has an organization called the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, which regulates uh, high school uh, competitive sports in the state of Connecticut, and uh, several years ago, after one presumes a pretty careful study, uh, because there were strong voices on both sides of the issue, they decided that any transgender girls who wanted to compete as women in high school athletics should be able to do so. I mean, they had certain qualifications that had to be met, uh, but uh, ultimately people who had transitioned uh, and uh, who identified as uh, female would be allowed to uh, compete uh, against cisgender girls, basically. Uh, And two, uh, two trans women, Andrea Yearwood and Terry Miller, competed very successfully in uh, track and field events in 2019 in the uh, spring term of 2019. Uh, so successfully that uh, Ms. Mitchell actually, uh, Ms. Miller actually uh, ran off with some, uh, some first places. I mean, they were, they, they did very well uh, and uh, some cisgender women were very upset and anticipating The spring 2020 track and field season, uh, two uh, cisgender women uh, from a a high school in Connecticut filed suit in federal district court, uh, Selena Sewell and Chelsea Mitchell, claiming that for them to have to compete with Yearwood and Miller in the upcoming season would be unfair to them and would, in fact, discriminate against them on the basis of their cisgender identity in violation of Title IX of the Education Amendments Act. Uh, Title IX says that uh, no one should be discriminated against because of sex by an educational institution which is receiving federal money, and that includes not being afforded equal educational opportunity. Uh, So they claim that it violated Title IX uh, for the state to permit transgender women to compete against cisgender women in athletic competition they filed their case in february 2020 and uh we all know what happened in march 2020 right think back a year uh pandemic season canceled
0: that really affected the the yeah. facts in this case and their outcome
1: right well they were they were really uh they were looking forward to a hearing on their motion for a preliminary injunction. And the judge had set it for hearing, and then they decided that that was moot uh, because, uh, you know, they weren't going to have a season. Well, they managed to find uh, two younger students, women, who were planning to compete in track and field uh, for the 2021 season. And uh, they added them as co plaintiffs because <laughs> they wanted to preserve standing to get their uh their declaratory judgment, their injunction, and everything else. And uh, the uh, defendants, of course, moved to dismiss. They said that the case is moot. Uh, but they weren't just asking for an injunction against transgender women competing. They were asking for other stuff, uh, as you alluded to in your introduction. They were asking that these women, uh, transgender women who had done so well, that their records should be tossed out. And that, you know, looking backwards at the 2019 spring season, all the records should be adjusted. Everybody who finished below them should be bumped up a notch. And uh, the claim by by Sewell and Mitchell was that their rankings, which would now improve by one slot for both, uh, for one of them, for Mitchell, it would actually mean some first place rankings. they said that this was important for their college applications and for potential employment applications for on their resume to show that they had won, you know, uh, but the court wasn't depressed with that. It said, first of all, they obviously didn't have standing because they graduated at the end of, uh, of the 29, uh, 2020 season. They, they graduated. So they don't have standing anymore to seek uh relief. Uh, do they have standing to seek a declaratory judgment? No, because they're not going to be competing in the future uh, in high school sports in Connecticut. But the two younger students who were who were recruited, they would have standing. But they only have standing if they could show that they would suffer an injury if the court didn't enjoin the rule. And uh, a representation was made during the argument on, on the motions here, a representation was made by... Uh, the uh, Council for the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, that there were no transgender girls registered to compete as of now for either this season, if it's held. I'm not sure if they're holding the season. I mean, we're already in May, and uh, things haven't totally opened up in Connecticut yet. uh, So they're probably not uh, competing. Uh, But even if they are, there are no transgender girls competing. And uh, these girls who are juniors now, uh with the two who still have theoretical standing uh they might not face any transgender competition next season I mean it would be unusual for someone to just burst on the scene uh and compete without having competed you know as a sophomore and a junior and uh uh, you know been brought along because we're talking about interscholastic competition uh so the judge says it is totally hypothetical at this point whether at any time during their high school careers these women who are juniors this year and will be seniors next year will face any transgender women in competition under this rule. So I don't think they have standing to challenge the rule at this point because they don't have an individualized interest. Now as to this business about adjusting the records from the 2019 season, the judge said, well, look, if uh, any employer doing due diligence would discover that in fact these women ranked one rank lower in the actual races and he said it you know they'd be no further along than they were anywhere says so there's, there's no no reason to go back and, and redo old records but they also asked for damages and as far as damages go he says uh damages against an educational institution under title nine uh depends among other things on uh whether they uh were on notice when they accepted federal money that uh, they would be subject to this kind of liability in this situation. And the court said, well, look, let's take a look at what these people could have known. Let's say when they, when they accepted money last year or when they accepted money in 2019, what would they have known about Title IX and transgender? What they would have known is that the Obama administration had said transgender women have a right to compete transgender women have a right to be treated as women for all purposes Uh, and uh there's a whole string of federal court decisions the uh the attempts by people to defeat the ability of transgender women to compete in athletic competition have crashed and burned so far although it's interesting at the time we are recording uh, just a week ago the ninth circuit court of appeals heard uh, oral argument on the case involving idaho statute uh, banning transgender women from competing which uh, federal district court held was uh was illegal violated Title IX. uh so that was argued in the ninth circuit Uh, so we will be getting perhaps our first federal court of appeals decision down the line uh, a few months from now from the ninth circuit on this question but the point is at the district court level Uh, The district courts have been going for the Title IX argument on behalf of the transgender women rather than the argument uh, on behalf of people who are opposed to them, although most of those are restroom cases uh, as opposed to uh, uh, cases involving athletic competition. But the ultimate underlying question is, uh, what is the impact of Title IX on the right of transgender people to be treated uh, consistent with their gender identity in school? And uh, we already reported that uh, Pamela Carlin at the uh, Justice Department issued a memo last month, uh, guidelines uh, under Title IX, stating that the uh, Biden administration agrees with the Obama administration's interpretation. They're overturning the interpretation uh, that was given by uh, the Trump administration. So, so basically, this, this lawsuit uh, uh, is going to go to the Second Circuit because Guess who's representing uh, the two transgender women? Well, the four transgender women.
0: Alliance Defending Freedom.
1: Right. So, of course, they're going to appeal. So, we'll (laughs) see what happens because Trump appointed a lot of people to the Second Circuit. You know, Uh, we'll see what happens in the Second Circuit.
0: Well, at least at this stage when we're talking about it, I just, I couldn't help but smile as I was reading it in law notes and thinking about how Alliance Defending Freedom had these plaintiffs and they really wanted to bring this case and then COVID happened and it screwed up their their facts and their standing and then they scrambled to find new people and then they were like, that's too attenuated. So it just blew their whole case up and it makes me really, really happy because the whole thing is so vindictive.
1: Right. And uh, and we should, of course, give credit where credit is due to the judge, uh, Judge Robert Chatney of the U.S. District Court in Connecticut, who was appointed by Bill Clinton and is now sitting as a senior judge.
0: And who you mentioned was uh, nominated by President Obama to the Second Circuit, but of course was thwarted by a Republican uh, Senate that didn't want to do anything. All right, so let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back with a case out of New York involving a non-binary plaintiff. Okay, we're back. The next case that we're going to discuss is one involving a New York resident who is seeking an accurate New York driver's license that reflects their non-binary identity. This lawsuit, which was brought by Lambda Legal, challenges New York's discriminatory policy that prohibits non-binary people from obtaining an accurate driver's license by forcing them to select either male or female. Another interesting aspect of this case is that the litigant is a recent NYU law grad. Art, tell us about this federal court case over an accurate driver's license with an
1: X marker. Okay, so the name of the case is Saba versus Cuomo. Sandra Saba is the plaintiff, uh, and they identify as non-binary, neither totally male nor totally female, uh, and they'd like to have an X on the driver's license where the M or the F would go. Uh, now, uh, what happened was in 2019, the New York State Department of Health changed its rules so that people who identify as non-binary can get a new birth certificate that uh, has an X instead of an M or an F. Uh, but that's the health department. And as we know, in New York, where uh, different departments are like different silos, you know, in terms of their uh, computer capabilities and their state of technology, et cetera. And the division of motor vehicles, it turns out, is way behind the uh, Department of Health because, uh when uh, Sandra Saba got their new birth certificate, and at the time I, perhaps as a student, was living in Pennsylvania, and got a driver's license in Pennsylvania, and they gave they gave them an X on the driver's license, no problem. Uh, but uh, you know, came back to New York, as you say, NYU Law School, recent graduate. So moving to New York, need to get a new driver's license. Uh, you have thirty days when you change your residence to New York. To apply for a new driver's license and uh you know if you're driving around uh with a new york address and a foreign state's license you can be uh, classified as an unlicensed driver in new york so you know there's some time pressure here so uh, saba goes to the website downloads the mp 44 form to fill out application for a driver's license and it says you have to fill out every question you have to respond to every question and for gender you can either check the box with M or F no third option uh so Saba thought well I can't truthfully answer that question so they sent a letter to the Commissioner of Motor Vehicles okay and uh said uh how can I get a driver's license with an X instead of an M or an F and if not will you affirm for me that it's the policy of New York to deny non-binary people, accurate driver's licenses. (laughs) Okay, it's of a confrontational letter, you know. Uh, So they got a phone call from uh, one Brandon Flynn, who identified himself, I'm assuming, from his first name, as a DMV employee, said, yeah, we can't issue a license without an M or an F. And that's because that's how our computer system is set up. Uh, you have to give us an M or an F, or the computer system won't generate a license. It's, you know, it's a whole computerized process. And it's a kind of old system, and we are, we are planning to upgrade, update it. Uh, but on uh, being asked whether the updating would include having an X option, Flynn said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry about
0: your constitutional rights. Our computers are screwed up.
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's, the same thing. You remember the Zim case and the passports with the State Department. Same thing, although I understand that President President Biden has said, yes, non-binary people should be able to get a passport with an X. But I don't think they've settled that case yet. But at any rate, in this case... uh, Uh, Lambda Legal got involved uh, representing Saba and filed suit against Cuomo and against the Commissioner of Motor Vehicles. So that woke them up, you know. Uh, What are we going to do about this? And uh, Cuomo's response to what are we going to do about this is, come on, you've got to be kidding me. We're not going to give an X because it's the computer. We'll we'll give you some money. You'll upgrade your computer system. We'll take care of it. And meanwhile, offer to give them an X license. So uh, they contacted Lambda was representing Saba now and they offered you know fill out the form leave the gender thing blank do a cover letter explaining the situation and we'll have someone hand prepare a license that says x for you but that's not the end of the story uh the reason they need an m or an f is because the department of motor vehicles does have a computerized database and the way the database is set up uh, you have to have an M or an F in the database. And so what they would do is they would assign an M or an F to Saba on their own in order to generate an entry in the database and to get a motor via, a, a motorist identification number. Because, you know, if you look at your driver's license, you have a New York license, there is a license number. And the license number is generated according to uh, a... Uh, a a, one of these uh algorithm type things where you feed in data and it it sort of randomly generates numbers for the license numbers and you need a license number because that's your id in the motor vehicle database and why is the motor vehicle database important well the motor vehicle database gets all records of traffic tickets and uh, other violations moving violations and it's uh insurance information and it's consulted by insurance companies it's consulted by the police department it's consulted by banks looking to verify id because they ask for your driver's license as an id and then they verify it with the department of motor vehicles so it turns out that giving saba a handcrafted x license that isn't automatically generated by this algorithm is not the end of the story. There's going to be the DMV, and the DMV records would have an M or an F, and so that doesn't solve the problem. Right? Uh, you now, can
0: imagine all the ways that the police could pull you over, see the license doesn't match what's in their system, right. and then maybe think you're driving with a forgery. All sorts. Well, of-
1: they 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 said we will also send you a letter. An official letter on DMV motorhead explaining his situation, so if you're stopped by the police, you could produce the letter, carry it around with you at all times. If you're asked oh. for your driver's license, his ID, and someone makes a fuss, you show them the letter. Well, just a minute, this is ridiculous. So, in his State of the State message for 2020, Cuomo put that he has directed the Department of Motor Vehicles to, you know, accommodate people, you know, with a with an X for non-binary. You know, it's it's in there but it's just his state of the state. It's not an executive order. It's not a statute or a regulation. So uh, the state moved to dismiss the case, not contesting the constitutional claims because Lambda claimed first and 14th Amendment violations here. But the state moved to dismiss his moot because they said what Saba is suing for is a driver's license with an X. We've offered him a driver's license with an X. What more does he want? <laughs> well, the answer is he wants a driver's license with an X. It's a valid driver's license with an X. is generated by the system that is correctly recorded in the DMV database, right? You need the whole thing. So uh, the judge, Judge Lewis Lyman, Federal District Court, accepted Lambda's argument that the case isn't moot. And the fact that the state says, oh, somewhere down the line, the computers are going to be fixed and it's still going to be taken care of. Uh, At first, they said they're going to have a completely new computer system. Then they looked at the price tag and blanched, and now they said, oh, we're just going to upgrade the computer system. We're going to make modifications. When? Well, maybe next year sometime, 2022, sometime in the future. And the judge said, well, look, it's not moot because if I were to issue a declaratory judgment, that would be binding on the state, right? They'd have to do it. But if I don't issue a declaratory judgment, if I dismiss it as moot, it's still hanging out there. There's nothing that says they have to go through with doing it. You know, They could just offer this compromise to uh, tran- to uh, binary people when they apply for licenses, uh, and if they don't just get booted out of the system for not filling in the form. Uh, but, uh, but Judge Lyman said, no, I can give declaratory relief here. Maybe it'll take some, them some time to do all this stuff, but if they have a declaratory judgment on record there, then they have to do it unless they appeal. And they're not even contesting that, uh, that uh, Saba has a constitutional claim here, which I'm going to be very careful in my opinion not to take a position on that. Uh, so, yeah, Great case. Good, um, good outcome.
0: Yeah, Lambda Legal's been doing a lot of work on the birth certificate issue first, and now driver's licenses, um, and Omar Gonzalez Pagan is a board member uh, who is also uh, the attorney in this case, along with Carl Charles, who used to be a board member of Legal, but now lives in Atlanta. So we miss Carl as well. So Carl's in
1: the Atlanta office of Lambda. (laughs)
0: that's right Um, so really great counsel here in this case it's a really interesting case and uh, we'll keep you apprised so let's go ahead and take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about Miss America folks Um, and that's not all (laughs) Miss America and
1: Black Chippendales
0: Black Chippendales Um, all right so don't go anywhere you won't all right so we're back This next segment really focuses on two cases that both involve transgender women who are seeking to exist and be treated equally in spaces that are creating that are trying to exclude them. The first case that we talked about dealt with transgender athletes in schools and equal protection in sports, and we talk about a lot of those type of cases about access to bathrooms and locker rooms, these two cases. Um, we're going to combine and talk about how um, Miss America, I guess it's USA, Miss USA pageant, and a ladies-only show performed by the Black Chippendales um, are seeking to keep transgender people from, um, from participating. Art, tell us about these two uh, very interesting uh, cases.
1: Well, what they have in common is they have to do with public accommodations law. Uh, taking the the Miss USA pageant first. So uh, Anita Noel Green is a transgender woman who wanted to compete in the Oregon competition sponsored by Miss USA.
0: Is this Uh, the Donald Trump one? That's Miss America.
1: Yeah, that's Miss America. This is Miss USA. Uh, But at any rate, uh, Anita Noel Green wanted to compete and they said no. Uh, the, uh, The application form requires you to certify that you are a natural born woman.
0: <laughs> this is really just awful. Go well, on.
1: Well, you know, uh, Miss USA says this is a competition for women. And we don't consider a transgender woman to be a woman. We consider a transgender woman to be a natural born man who happens to be living as a woman, but is not really a woman. Uh, you know, there's an ideology behind this. And we see yeah, this recurring. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> So uh, Anita Noel Green sues in uh, federal district court. Uh, I believe it, it must be a diversity suit because it's under the Oregon uh, Public Accommodations Act, and uh, they argued that Miss USA is a an expressive association. And forcing it to include Ms. Green in the pageant would significantly affect their ability to advocate their viewpoints, one of which is that only natural born women are women. They say that's part of our message. uh, That we, we are here to exalt and salute natural born women. And Judge Mossman bought it. He said, yes, they are an expressive association. He, He looked at uh, at Dale versus the Boy Scouts. Remember Dale? Well, which at the Supreme Court was the Boy Scouts versus Dale. James Dale, uh, the gay Rutgers student who uh, became uh, vice president of the Rutgers Gay Student Organization and went out on a speaking engagement. He also happened to be an assistant troop master for his old Boy Scouts troop. And uh, as soon as that got in the news, they booted him out for being gay, and it went to the Supreme Court, which said the Boy Scouts of America is an expressive association. It was formed to inculcate certain values in boys, and it would would violate their First Amendment rights to force them to have an openly gay scoutmaster, because that would contradict the message they're trying to send. It would force them to send the message that they approve of homosexuality, whether they consider it consistent with the Boy Scout oath that you have to be clean and reverent and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so here, the court says, well, yeah, uh, you know, this would impose a certain message, a certain message on Miss USA. And uh, the argument that was made by Green uh was that uh this is completely different from the boy scouts the boy scouts is a non-profit organization it's a values organization miss usa is a commercial for-profit venture they charge the contestants uh quite a bit of money to enter they sell tickets to their pageant events they sell advertising in their pageant uh books each year you know and it's about making money it's not primarily about communicating a message, it's about making money. But Judge Mossman didn't go for it.
0: Yeah, those were strong facts.
1: Yeah, I thought, I thought that, that that was a very good uh, way to distinguish Dale. Uh, I mean, Dale is cited a lot in here uh, for the First Amendment issues. Uh, and uh, Judge Mossman actually conceded. He said, I struggled a little bit with the balancing test, you know, because obviously uh, there's a state policy of non-discrimination with respect to public accommodations. Uh, the Oregon law is clear. But under the First Amendment, under Dale and other cases of the expressive association, for example, the early case, uh, that was the St. Patrick's Day Parade case and the gay Irish group from Boston, he said, you know, if we have an expressive association, then we have a real issue of forcing someone in there that they don't want. Who was going to in some way conflict with the message he rejected it's sort of odd he rejected the argument that this was compelled speech but he accepted the argument that it was a violation of the right of expressive association on the part of uh, the miss usa pageant Uh, so uh, appeal to the ninth circuit we'll see
0: Maybe yeah, that. we'll see. I did we... I did find it that the the judge, at least as conveyed in the article, was really grappling with oh Dale and you know if 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 the state interest in preventing sexual orientation discrimination wasn't enough to overcome the expressive uh, protections in Dale, then gender identity and, and preventing that kind of discrimination would fail on the same kind of lines. Um, so I have to decide it this particular way. Is that the sense that you got from? Yeah, from it, was,
1: it was like he sees, an, he sees a hierarchy of protection. You know, women are protected from discrimination because they're women gay people are a little bit less protected from discrimination because of their sexual orientation. Uh, transgender people are even a little less protected you know so so if uh, if there wasn't enough protection for sexual orientation then how can there be enough protection for gender identity as as if you know we have a hierarchy when actually most courts construing anti-discrimination laws say that all of the grounds of prohibited discrimination should be treated as equal that there is no hierarchy that says right. you protect people from race discrimination to a greater extent than you protect them from sex discrimination under a statute. You know, they, they're getting this tangled up with the Equal Protection Clause, where under the Equal Protection Clause, race is a suspect classification, but sex is sex is considered to be a sort of quasi-suspect, heightened scrutiny, but not strict scrutiny. And that's where they've been slotting in sexual orientation and gender identity lately too. Now right. uh, applying the uh, the logic of the Bostock decision, from
0: last but that's very last different break. than if a state enacts a statute right. where it lists all types of discrimination.
1: The, I mean, the statute indicates that the state considers this just as uh, important as race or religion or the other categories that are included. Switching to Florida, so so we've got Nevada Love, a transgender woman. Uh, was invited by some of her cisgender female friends to come with them to a fun night at Grotto Hall, which was being rented out to a group called Royalty in Heels for the Black Chippendales. That is, black male dancers who do a quasi-striptease dance. And uh, evidently, the, uh, the... the the normal thing when they're doing this is for members of the audience to reach out you know like stuff a dollar bill into their thong or whatever so uh and this was billed this was advertised as an all ladies event of course because the Chippendale dances they made clear to the organizers of the event when they were signed on for this event they said we don't dance for men only women allowed okay so uh, uh Ms. Love showed up a little bit late her friends had already bought her ticket, and they'd stake out a table right up in the front, right up in the face of the dancers. All right, so she she shows up, and she sits down there, and someone in the audience spotted her as a transgender woman and relayed that information back to the dancers, who freaked out. So uh, one of the organizers of this uh, uh, organization that had contracted with the Black Chipmondale, she said, "Well, what if we ask her to move back from the front of the audience, so she's not in your view, and she's too far back, and she's not going to be able to accidentally touch you or something like that?" And that mollified them; they calmed down. So she went over and and uh, said to Miss Love, uh, That the dancers won't dance with you sitting up here. Can we move you to the back?" And she exploded. You know, she was affronted. Well, yes, I'm here course. as a woman. She she went uh, to the cashier and said, "I want my money back." She stormed out, and she filed a lawsuit. Uh, now she filed the lawsuit in state court because there's a public accommodations law in Florida that covers sex. She says I was discriminated against because of my sex. Well, there were two defenses that were advanced. Uh, before the trial judge uh, judge edward nickinson of escambia county circuit court uh, one they said uh, grotto hall is not a place of public accommodation it's a lodge and there's a provision in the public accommodation law that expressly excludes lodges and similar private clubs for being covered up the public accommodations law so that was one argument and the other argument was that the Florida public accommodations law doesn't ban discrimination based on gender identity. Well, the judge said, just a minute, you know, they had they had a little trial here. They had some evidence and the evidence was that several times a month they're renting out the hall for bingo, they're renting out the hall for this, for that, once or twice a month there's a live show of some sort there. The judge says, "No, this is a this is a place of public accommodation. It is used often enough to sell tickets to events and things of that sort. And the judge said, I don't really have to decide whether the Florida law covers gender identity under their ban on sex discrimination, because I find that the black Chippendales have a right to not have anyone in their audience who isn't, uh, who who is a man. So, so quoting, quoting Judge Nickinson in the trial court decision, the course decision here represents no more and no less than a finding that when the subject of the activity in question is sex, and when that activity involves sex or sexually suggestive bodily contact, and when the performers who may be physically involved with that contact have specified they consent to contact only with women, the performers may reasonably expect to retain some say over who is or is not a woman for purposes of the activity. What Here,
0: the hell
1: the, is that? This is the judge. Here the I dancers know, you... <laughs> the dancers clearly did not consider Miss Love to be a woman for purposes of their performance. And the court sees no reason why, for that limited purpose, Miss Love should be able to force those dancers to think otherwise. No person should be required to perform body contact sexual or sexually suggestive acts with another except by consent.
0: This and is the, absolute
1: crazy stuff and the judge said that ruling from his love quote would require the court to impose appellants gender norms on unwilling others which the court declined to do okay so we have an appeal right to the Florida Court of Appeal now the Florida Court of Appeal three judge panels split three ways all right uh Judge Kelsey agreed with Judge Nickinson that this is a place of public accommodation But she also agreed with Judge Nickinson that there is a privacy exception that they're going to recognize, and uh, said – rejected Ms. Love's argument that there was no unwanted touching exception to the Florida Civil Rights Act. She asserted, we cannot adopt that reasoning without implicitly invalidating or creating new exceptions to numerous existing laws that protect fundamental rights. So she was referring to the laws against battery sexual battery sexual harassment and ironically hostile work environment created by unwanted touching she said it would be a hostile work environment for the black chippendales to have someone who they consider to be a man sitting there in the front of the audience where they could reach out and touch them
0: did these folks go to law school
1: all right well this, this is this is judge kelsey all right but there are two other judges here uh two other judges here uh one judge uh Uh, Judge Rowe, Laurie S. Rowe, uh, concurred, but only in the result. That is, she believed that the suit should be dismissed, the plaintiff's suit suit should be dismissed, but not based on some sort of privacy exception or something like that. She said, as far as I'm concerned, Grotto Hall is not a place of public accommodation and therefore the statute doesn't apply. So she agreed to dismiss. Love's case on the grounds that the act doesn't apply to this venue. And then we have the dissenting opinion, a dissenting opinion by Judge Ross Bilbrey. Judge Bilbrey said, I agree with Judge Kelsey that this is a place of public accommodation, and I disagree that there's some kind of judge-manufactured privacy exception to the public accommodation provision. He said, it's up to the legislature to decide what affirmative defenses there are. It's not up to the courts. And furthermore, he said, this is not only sex discrimination, it's also gender identity discrimination. And this is the good part that I like. And he says, because of the Bostock case, which was decided after Judge Nickinson's decision, but while our appeal was being briefed, I think we should follow the Florida practice well-established following Title VII interpretations when we are construing the Florida Civil Rights Act. Yes. Uh, now, the uh, the defendants argued that uh, Bostock was an employment discrimination case, and this is a public accommodations case. Uh, but he said, no, but we have, we have followed Title VII precedents when we're interpreting what sex means for purposes of the Florida Civil Rights Act. So I think – and this is a question of first impression in Florida. We don't have appellate ruling on this yet although I think the uh, the state's uh, civil rights agency has agreed with this argument, uh, that henceforth the uh, provision on uh, discrimination based on sex for all purposes of the Florida Civil Rights Act should be construed to include sexual orientation and gender identity in line with Bostock. But he said, I don't even have to get there because I think this is an open and shut sex discrimination case.
0: I mean, after you read the dissent, dissenting opinion you're just like oh thank goodness you've got some common sense somebody who's who understands the law um and and it's just so baffling that the other hoops that the judges went through to come out with the the outcome that they
1: did well this could go to the florida supreme court uh i i would be a bit hesitant about taking it there but, you know, Miss Love is not vindicated because although there is no majority ruling saying that there is this exception to the law, that's just one judge. But uh, to the extent that we have uh, two judges agreeing on anything of substance, it's that Grotto Hall is a place of public accommodation when they rent it out for the Black Chipmunk. <laughs> Well,
0: I'm glad we've reached resolution on that. You know what? I'll go ahead and buy into that argument as well. How about that? We
1: have agreement on something. Yeah.
0: Well, this is um, the ACLU of Florida. This is Daniel Tilley's case. He's a friend of ours. Um, You know, the Florida Supreme Court used to be eminently fair, and now it's got a bunch of new Ron DeSantis appointees. I wouldn't risk, you know, we'll see what they do, but I don't know if this case should go up it's wild um all right so give us the of note art it's hard to top these last couple of cases well but i think uh
1: this is actually a family law case from michigan michigan court of appeals uh two lesbians partners they want to have kids together they want to do the innovative thing like one of them has her eggs harvested and they're uh fertilized in vitro and then implanted in the other one so one of them is going to be the birth mother and the other is going to be the genetic mother okay and what resulted in this case was twins Uh, and then uh, a little bit down the line the women are falling out from each other and there's going to be a custody dispute and the standard uh when you have a custody dispute between two parents the standard is best interest of the child whether you should have joint custody or sole custody or primary custody or shared, you know, or whatever. Uh, but in this case, uh, the birth mother was arguing, I am the only natural parent here. And my former partner is a legal stranger to these kids. And the former partner said, I'm not a legal stranger, I'm the genetic mother. And the trial judge was treating her as a third party who might be able to seek some visitation claim, but not uh, to, to touch custody. And the Court of Appeals said, well, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute here. Uh, there is, in, in defining parent for purposes of this kind of case, it doesn't matter whether you're the genetic parent or the birth parent. They're both parents. And so they stand on equal footing, and it's the best interest of the child. Uh, very good decision. Uh, the uh, name of the case is La Fever versus Matthews, Michigan uh, Court of Appeals, April 1st. So it was the first case we found for this uh, May issue of One, <laughs> And I immediately assigned it out to my research assistant. So I, I have a wonderful article about it by Philip Kukovich, who is my graduating research assistant. He'll be graduating from law school in a week or two. Uh, will no longer be my research assistant, but I'm very hopeful he'll continue to write the notes after he passes his bars.
0: Well, that's just fascinating. Thank you so much for this really uh, exciting lineup of cases. Uh, you said you had one update for us, and, and I have like two seconds before we – did you want to update us on the – Yeah,
1: on the Meriwether case. You remember the uh, the professor at Shawnee State University in Ohio who's misgendering a transgender woman. Oh, yes, of course. The three-judge panel said he had a First Amendment right to do it because he's speaking right. on a subject of public interest. Well, a petition has been filed with the Sixth Circuit for on bank review, and just the other day I signed on to a law professor's amicus brief arguing that the uh, panel totally screwed it up. And this was a panel that was like two Trump appointees. Right. So, you know, uh, we'll see that, that that may be going to the Sixth Circuit for reconsideration.
0: Fascinating. Well, thank you for being on the right side of the law, Art, and uh, for helping us keep abreast of all of the law. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next time, unless there's a breaking news podcast where we're discussing Fulton v. Philly. Um, otherwise, we'll be back with you next time. There's a lot of notes coming out. Thank you so much.